For those of you visiting, my name is uh, Rich. I imagine that there are a number of visitors here from out of town. Just welcome. Uh, glad you're here in uh, New York City uh, with us. Just a gift to worship with you. Um, at the end of our service, our pastors and leaders will be downstairs and would love to connect with you. So uh, introduce yourself before you head out of the building. Uh, as you can hear already, I, I've lost my voice this past week. I had too much celebration after the turkey. And, um, and so pray for me as I try to deliver this. This is a day where I thank God that we only have two services and not three. Uh, and so pray that I can get through uh, this really important message today. Before I um, preach, I want to make one uh, note around our Christmas offering. Every year uh, at this time, we introduce our Christmas offering because it's an opportunity for us to advance the mission of New Life Fellowship Church. <clears throat> and after, over the last 13 years, we've had this offering, and this offering has helped us to do so much good in serving the poor and marginalized and helping us start a new congregation and helping us get the message of emotionally healthy discipleship out to the world. And so every year is an opportunity for us to, as a congregation, come together to be very generous with what God has entrusted us with so that we can advance the mission of New Life Fellowship Church. And so today, really, the opportunity is to do two things, to pray and to plan, to pray and to plan. My hope today is that you would begin to pray about what God might be inviting you to give above and beyond your regular giving to the mission of New Life Fellowship Church. But secondly, to plan, uh, to be thoughtful. I recognize that uh, during the holiday season, the Christmas season, things get pretty full and crazy and busy. So my hope is that over the next maybe week that you would plan and think about what would God be inviting you uh, to give towards this initiative. In the next few weeks, you're going to learn about these numbers, the significance of these numbers, 10, 20, and 100. The 10 years, the 20 years, the 100 years, three important numbers for this Christmas offering, but today, my hope is that you would be prayerfully open uh, to giving generously to the work that we're doing at New Life Fellowship Church. So more to come. Uh, every offering beginning today through the end of the year goes to this goal of 550000 and every year, by God's grace and your generosity, we've met and exceeded that goal, and uh, I believe that God will lead us to do the same again. Amen? Amen. Well, today is um, an important day in the life of the church. Next week, uh, the season of Advent begins. And one of the developments I've seen uh, in the season of Advent is that Advent has increasingly become secularized, increasingly been commercialized. Uh, Advent is often, the, the world has a way of taking the stuff that belongs to Christians and the church and have secularized it and commercialized it in such a way where we miss out the true intention of this particular season. And so uh, what we're seeing over and over again is Advent stuff that have nothing to do with Jesus. And so, for example, we have uh, Advent uh, skincare treatments there. Uh, and, 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 and listen, uh, show that picture there, because I, I'm fine with you getting good skincare. I mean, R Rosie has taught me to moisturize in ways that I never knew growing up, and so I'm really benefiting from the moisturization and that ministry. Um, <clears throat> but 
uh, Advent is not about uh, skincare. There's, there's Advent for socks. I mean, I've seen like Advent calendars for socks that people every day, you open up a, a, a new sock, but, but, but Advent is, is not about socks. Listen, dogs are getting into this thing here. And, and so they, they're like dog treats. There's like a 25-day dog treat calendar, Advent calendar uh, for, for Fido. I, I mean, and, and they're, they're loving it. So, but, but Advent is, is, is not about uh, dog treats uh, either. And, and I'm not trying to come against, listen, if you like to get Advent calendars for your dogs, uh, no, no shade. No, 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 no. Uh, I'm not coming against, maybe I am coming against it here because, <laughs> because Advent at its core is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're waiting for him in Advent. And so, the week before Advent, the church, many churches around the world, have celebrated and recognized something called Christ the King Sunday, which is today. Christ the King Sunday. And this day is really important because it helps to focus the season of Advent. What is the season of Advent about? Ultimately, about Christ the King. Jesus is the King we're waiting for. Jesus is the ruler and true king, and we are waiting for him to break in, waiting for him to come and bring his kingdom. And so today, the question I want to engage is, what kind of king is Jesus? And what does it mean to belong to his kingdom? What kind of king is Jesus? And so with that, we're going to look at a passage of scripture out of the gospel of Luke chapter 4. Luke 4 I believe Jesus, this is his first kind of message that he announces about what it means to be the Messiah, what it means to be the king. And so uh, uh, Luke 4, beginning in verse 14, hear the word of the Lord. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. By the way, the next four weeks, we're going to be all in the book of Isaiah. It's going to be wonderful. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Amen. That's the kind of king Jesus is. Let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for your presence in this place. And I pray that you would give me endurance and strength and you would give us uh, ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to receive the kind of king that you are and what it means to belong to your kingdom. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. As many of you know, I love hip-hop. I I love hip-hop. I grew up listening to all kinds of of hip-hop, which, by the way, is not always a good thing, but, but I, I have all these songs etched into my memory about hip-hop. I could go for a long time talking about all the different artists that I loved over the years, but there's one artist in particular that I at least want to give 
a little bit of um, uh, props to because he's from Queens. There's a guy named Nas. There's a guy named Nas. He's from Queens. Now, um, amen. Uh, now, um, I don't recommend that you um, put Nas on during your devotional time with Jesus. And so don't see this as a, you know, a good spiritual practice to do. Uh, However, I just want to highlight one of the songs of Nas, a Queens native. He wrote a song uh, that people have sung throughout the world. And the song very simply is, if I ruled the world. Imagine that. If, if I uh, ruled the world. And what he does in this song, this Queens native, is he talks about a world that's marked by pleasure, a world that's marked by justice, a world that's marked by correcting the things in our society uh, that have disproportionately impacted people of color. And so what he does in the song is he paints a picture, a vision of if he were the ruler of the world, if he were the king, this is how the world would be ordered. And the reason why so many people like this song is because it speaks to a particular impulse that all of us have. That we believe that if we were ruling the world, if we were in control of the world, we would have particular things look in a particular way. This impulse is inside of us. It reminds me, last, this past week I came across a blog by uh, a pastor uh, who talked about if I were king, if I were king. And he began to talk about what he would do if he were king. And, and, and I kind of like some of his stuff here. And so I just, he said, if I were king, I would immediately make the following things sugar and calorie free. <laughs> Chocolate chip candy bars. That's a good king. Anything Reese's, red velvet cake, kettle potato chips, bread, lattes from Starbucks, extra large coffees with cream and sugar from Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, oh hell, this king. I mean, this is a good king. <laughs> He continues, he said, if I were king, I would require the phone company, the plumber, the cable company, and all delivery drivers to narrow the window of their arrival to 10 minutes. <laughs> so instead of having to wait, you know, all day, when is someone's coming for that monthly delivery of whatever, you just know exactly when they are going to come. Then he says something, I don't know about this, but it's funny. I would require all garbage trucks to play songs on their loudspeakers that make them sound like ice cream trucks. <laughs> just so I can see the disappointment on the faces of children who come running at the sound of what must be the ice cream only to find someone tipping their garbage can into a truck. I just, I just liked it. I just liked it. But then he says something a bit serious. He said, but seriously, if I were king, I would eliminate poverty and hunger. I would eradicate disease. I would get rid of all the weapons of the world and make all the people who hate each other and are using them to sit down in a, to, and are using them to sit down in a room and listen to one another's stories for a while. I would find a way to get all the churches all over the world to put aside their differences and stupid things that divide us just and just to just join together to do good in the world and just be the church. I would make this a world safe for children, full of hope. Creativity, joy, love, peace, and the best of everything. In this exercise, in this question, it reveals an impulse that we all have. And I wonder for a moment, if we were to ask you, if, if you were to do this exercise, if you were queen, if you were king, what would you do? And the way that we answer that question actually shows us 
how aligned we are with Jesus. Because if we would eliminate things that Jesus wants, or if we would try to do away or keep things that Jesus does not want us to, it shows us how aligned we are to Jesus and the way of his kingdom. And so on this Christ the King Sunday, the larger question that we must wrestle with is not simply if I were king, if I were queen. The question is, what kind of king is Jesus? Because he is the king. What has Jesus done? And what is Jesus doing? And it is here where we pick up in our text in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, as Jesus tells us what kind of king he is. Before Jesus announces his kingship in this way, he gets baptized. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 3, he gets baptized. And when he comes out of the water, the voice of the Father says, This is my Son, whom I love, in you I am well pleased. And right after Jesus receives a word of affirmation from the Father, which, by the way, is really beautiful, because before Jesus does any miraculous stuff, he's already received the word of love from the Father spoken over him. And this is good news for all of us because the word of the Father comes to us before we do anything. God's love, God's mercy comes to you. It's not a reward for your goodness. It is a gift that God gives to you because of the goodness of God. And so the voice of the Father says, this is my son whom I love, and you I'm well pleased. And right after this, Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one. And when he goes into the wilderness, it's, it's temptation, it's testing. Because at the core of these temptations is the question, what kind of king is Jesus going to be? And so the evil one comes and offers three temptations. Number one, to turn stone into bread. Number two, to bow at the devil. Number three, to jump off the temple and angels will catch. What's the significance of this? Well, to turn stone into bread, basically the devil is saying, I want you to live according to instant gratification over disciplined dependence. Because he's fasting at that time. When he says to bow to him, the devil is saying, I want you to exhibit power over servanthood. To jump off the temple and angels will catch you, he's basically saying, I want you to live for applause and not humility. And over and over, our king says no. Our king says, I am not going to live according to instant gratification. If that was so, he would have never gone to the cross. Our king says, I'm not going to bow to the evil one. My life is not going to be marked by dominance over someone, but servanthood under someone, washing another person's feet. Our king is not going to jump off the temple and be marked by applause, but his life is going to be marked by humility. Amen. And over and over, Jesus says, no, 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 because I am not that kind of king. He says, I am, I am not going to be a Messiah who thinks about myself against others. I'm not going to be a Messiah who's going to live for power, but no, I'm going to lay it down for others. I'm not going to be a Messiah who lives for the applause of people. No, I will rest in the affirmation of the Father. I will not be a Messiah who, who does what the world wants me to do. I will choose the narrow path 
and follow the Father in this way and demonstrate what kind of king I am. In short, Jesus, amen, is not the kind of king who's self-absorbed. Jesus is not the kind of king who only cares about himself. Jesus, what makes him our king is he is not obsessed with his own glory. He's something entirely different, which made his revelation as king so different from that particular culture. Because in that day, there was another king in the neighborhood, a guy named King Herod. And here was a king who was self-obsessed. There are accounts of how wicked this king was. He's the kind of guy, you don't invite him to your Christmas parties. You don't invite him over for Thanksgiving. He is a wicked king. And at various points of his life, Herod would kill his children so that he could maintain the crown. His boss, a guy named Caesar, he's the emperor of Rome, said that it would be better to be Herod's pig than to be his son. Probably worst of all, when Herod was on his deathbed, he ordered that the stadium around the area there would be filled with people from all across the land that people loved. And that when he died, that he, they were to kill those people. Why? Because they knew that if he died, there would be no mourning. And so he wanted there to be weeping and sadness, even if it wasn't for him. That's how wicked this guy is. Jesus comes on the scene and says, I'm a different kind of king. And Jesus is a different kind of king than the kings of the world. Jesus is a different kind of king from the self-serving leaders of our world. People who are known more for power than people. Leaders that are more known more for popularity than people. Leaders that are known more for profit than people. Jesus says, I'm the kind of king that is different. And how am I different? I'm going to show you what I value. How am I different? I'm going to show you what's important to my kingship. And what we find in Jesus right in this passage are three significant declarations of the kind of king that he is. And this is good news. Number one, what we find here is that Jesus is the kind of king who is for the poor and the marginalized. Amen. In Jesus Christ, we find a king who is for the poor and the marginalized. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Holy Spirit has anointed me to preach good news to who? The poor. Notice the, gospel, the first articulation of the gospel from Jesus Christ is good news for the poor. This is so radical. This is so countercultural. Because Jesus values what the world often regards as trash. You know, it reminded me this past week, I was uh, down in Florida with my family, cousins, nieces, nephews. It was wonderful. There's one niece in particular that I, I want to talk about. Her name is Jada. Jada's five years old. Jada, for the past two to three weeks, has been carrying around a crumpled up paper bag from Wendy's. This has become kind of her new toy. And she's been 
there's, there's no rationality behind it. She just, this is, her, this is her toy. This is her thing here. And so she's just been carrying it everywhere. There's nothing in it. She's just been carrying this paper bag everywhere she goes, which is very frustrating. Um, you know, you buy children stuff. It's Christmas time. And what do they want to play with? Not the toy that you spend $150 on. They want to play with the box. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, I, we should have got them a box for Christmas. And, and, and Jade is walking around with her toy. And my, my brother has been saying, I, I don't even understand it. I, I, I don't know. She just has built some kind of affection for this crumpled up paper bag from Wendy's. And so she lives in New Jersey. She brings it to her with her to Florida. She's on the plane with the bag. She's going through the metal detectors with the bag. She's sleeping with this brown paper bag. It makes no sense. To everyone else, it's trash. To everyone else, just discard it. But for whatever reason, in her own heart, her affection has been set on this brown, you know where I'm going. The, the, the affection, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he looks at the poor, the economically poor, the socially poor, those who have been oppressed by society at large, those who are powerless, those who are voiceless. For many people, they just need to be discarded. But there's nothing that could pry the poor out of the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. So be careful how we talk about the poor. We must be careful how we talk about the powerless. We must be careful how we talk about people who, just, who can't seem to get their act together for whatever reason. Why must we be careful? Because in doing so, we're talking about people who the Lord Jesus Christ has fixed his affection on. This is why in Jeremiah, and my voice is, I feel the spirit now. I feel the anointing now. In uh, Jeremiah... In Jeremiah 22, we find how important this is. Where the Lord said, Jeremiah, he defended the cause of the poor and needy. And so all went well. Do you hear that? He defended the cause of the poor and needy, so all went well. Is that, is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. For many of us, we go, what does it mean to know the Lord? Got to read the Bible. What does it mean to know the Lord? Got to know the Psalms. What does it mean to know the Lord? To pray whenever we get the chance. What does it mean to know the Lord? He defended the cause of the poor and the needy. That's what it means to know the Lord. When Jesus says in Matthew 25, you know, when, when you visited me when I was in prison and you fed me when I was hungry and you gave me water to drink when I was thirsty, uh, thank you for that. And the people said, Lord, if we knew that you were in prison, if we knew that you were hungry, we would have fixed you some leftovers for Thanksgiving. If we knew that. And he says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Jesus is the kind of king who is for the poor and the marginalized. And then the question we must ask ourselves as individuals and as a community, are we reflecting this part of his kingdom? To what degree is our energy, to what degree is our resources reflecting this reality? 
The second thing we see about Jesus, however, is that Jesus is the kind of king who frees us from our prisons. Look at what he says here. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. The good news of the gospel is that those who find themselves in bondage can be free in the name of Jesus. And here's what I know to be true. For those of us in this room, those of us watching online, there's so many prisons that we find ourselves in. Prisons of our own making. Prisons from the evil one. There's, there's satanic prisons. There's there, there are prisons from a larger system that surrounds us. There's prisons that are self-made prisons. And Jesus came to free us from all of them. The season of Advent reminds us that the kind of freedom that we're ultimately longing for is the freedom that comes in the person and in the name of Jesus Christ. Some of you have been li living in self-created prisons. And some of you, the evil one, has so deceived you about who you are. The evil one has heaped up shame on you. Self-deception about yourself. And you have lived in a space where you are not free. But here's, here's the good news of Christ the King Sunday and the good news of Advent. There is a king who has come who can set you free. Name whatever prison you find yourself in. A prison to addictive behaviors. A prison to the past of your mistakes. A prison to the stories and the narratives and the scripts that you tell yourself. Wherever you have said, there's no hope for me, Christ the King is here. And he can set you free. And, and the degree to which we are bound in Jesus is the degree to which we are free. This is the paradox of the kingdom of God. This is the paradox of the gospel. The more we find ourselves as a prisoner to Jesus, the more we find ourselves free. The more we find ourselves as a servant to Jesus, the more we find ourselves free. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. I've been studying 2 Corinthians for the last six months, just in my life with God. And in verse 2, he says the paradox. He says, but thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. Here's why this language is important. In that day, whenever someone conquered another land, they would take prisoners from that land and parade them around to essentially say, we have the victory. Paul uses that image in a very paradoxical way. He says, by faith in Jesus, we are now taken at his, as his captives. But we are in a parade of victory because we are captive to him. Here's the, the world doesn't understand this. The more you find yourself captive to Jesus, the freer you are. The more you find yourself captive to the teachings of Jesus, the freer you are. The more you find yourself allowing yourself to be imprisoned in the love of Jesus, the freer you are. Because we have a king who can free us 
from our prisons. Let me ask you today, where do you find yourself in bondage? Where do you find yourself stuck? Where do you find yourself in this ongoing cycle? You can't get out of it. Wherever you find yourself, oh, good news, good news, good news. The king is here. He has good news for those who find themselves as prisoners. He can set us free. Thirdly, listen to this. What kind of king is Jesus? He's the kind of king who gives us sight, who helps us to truly see. You ever notice that many of Jesus' miracles were about helping people who were visually impaired to see. And whether they were physically visually impaired, whether they were spiritually visually impaired, whether they were religiously blinded by their own self-righteousness, Jesus comes to give us sight. Why does the king come? Because the king wants us to see like the king sees. How do you know you're seeing like the king? Well, you begin to see every human being as an image bearer of God. You see what's happening in Israel and Palestine right now? One of the sad realities that's been revealed is that we don't see like the king. We, 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 every person who's suffering whether Israeli or Palestinian, are made in the image of God. And what the king wants us to see are image bearers in this way. The king wants us to see our own dependence for a king. For some of us, we have been so blind and believing, I can be my own king. How's that working out for you? It's probably not. Because the only king who can make you see, the only king who can bring you to life, the only king who can save your soul is King Jesus. And we are invited to live within this kingdom. And so the season of Advent, friends, when we focus for four weeks on the themes of hope and the themes of peace and joy and love, we are proclaiming that a particular king has come. Not a generic king. A particular king named Jesus Christ has come and is coming to set the world right. Therefore, during the season of Advent, what do we fix our minds on? On this king. This season of Advent is a very spiritually tempting moment. Because the world would have us fixate our minds around everything that has nothing to do with Jesus. But friends, this season is about Jesus. The entire year is about Jesus. But in this particular moment where we focus on the incarnation, God becoming a baby, this God becoming king, we are reminded to fix our minds, and our hearts on the Lord Jesus Christ. More than that, the question we must ask ourselves is this. If we are bowing to this king, is my life reflective of this kingdom? 
if I am bowing to this king, is the way that I treat the poor reflective of this kingdom? If he is the king, is the way that I'm seeing myself reflective of the kingdom? And here's the good news, friends. We have a God who wants to do all these things for you. Listen again, and then we'll sing. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. On this day, we don't just think about Jesus as just another good human being. We don't think about Jesus as simply a wise teacher. We reflect on Jesus as King of kings, Lord of lords, Son of the living God, who has come to make all things new. And he invites us to participate with him in this kingdom. Let's pray together. Where do you find yourself stuck? Where do you find yourself imprisoned? Where do you find yourself needing to see? Where do you find yourself in need of rescue, healing, salvation? Lord Jesus, on this Sunday, we join with Christians around the world proclaiming that you are king, and not just any king, you are king of kings, Lord of lords, and we worship you. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness, your mercy, your love, which is better than life. And in moments like this, Sometimes the only thing we can do is sing in response. And so that's what we'll do. We sing to you now. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing together.